If you want to know how to effectively manage your calorie intake without having to track, weigh, and or measure your food, then this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show is for you. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you will hear the real world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master, their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. If you're anything like me, then you absolutely abhor tracking your calories. I mean, I can't stand it. It's time-consuming, highly inaccurate, and to be honest with you, can quickly push me to the edge of developing an unhealthy relationship with food. I now know that it's not for me, but... I'm glad I've spent time over the years doing it because now I have a much better understanding of how my food decisions add up throughout the day to the degree that it's relatively easy for me to adjust my calories up or down based on how I'm feeling, what I think I need, and my personal preferences and goals at that time. So is calorie tracking right for you? It's hard for me to say, but in my experience, there's a fine line between using apps like MyFitnessPal as a positive tool to help you become a more intuitive eater or a modality that can contribute to a complete disconnect between what you think you need and what your body really wants. In this solo episode of the show, we'll discuss a couple of ways that you can learn to manage your calories without having to weigh and measure that I've had a lot of success with over the years. That's not to say there isn't a place for calorie tracking, but it's important to me to make you aware that just like fad diets, it's merely a short-term solution and likely not a very effective tool to help you create long-term behavioral change, which is ultimately the key to achieving any goal, regardless of whether it revolves around health or fitness. As always, if you love what you hear on this show, then do me a favor and subscribe, leave a positive rating and review, and share this episode with a friend or a loved one whom you think could benefit. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether this is your first episode or you've been along with me for the entire 85 episodes now. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to this solo round of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Today on the show, we're going to talk about how to manage your calories without necessarily having to track, weigh, measure, and so on and so forth. Because over the last couple of weeks, I've shared interviews with Justin Janoska about uh, the flexible dieting disaster and how potentially tracking your calories, depending on who you are, where you are in your life, is actually um, a mask. For something that's going on deeper 
And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole with you today because I do believe that there's a time and a place and that tracking your calories can be beneficial. But I do also know that for a lot of people, it's just not very realistic. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I absolutely do not want to be taking the time to have to plug in all of those foods that I'm eating on a daily basis into my fitness pal or whatever the calorie tracking is. And I'm sure you know, you could probably resonate. But the crux of it is that if we are trying to lose weight, we have to figure out a way to create a caloric deficit. And so the whole purpose of this conversation with you today is just to give you a couple real world strategies that I use with clients every single day that I think might be helpful for you. And this is the tools that I would give a client if we were going about weight loss, you know, if their goals were weight loss and we were putting a plan together, these are the exact steps that I would take. And so I want you to listen closely um, because I'm going to try and lay it out as clearly as possible for you. This is a somewhat of an impromptu podcast, but I feel like there's the need here, um, and I've been getting plenty of questions about it, the need to have some tangible strategies in place in order to help you create a calorie deficit. So how do you do that with just the complexity of information out there and feeling like you have to weigh and measure? And, and again, as I do think there's value to it, I think at some point, everyone should have the opportunity to do it. And it's the end all be all, or even the accuracy is is that uh, legitimate? I think that there's plenty of percent margin for error with any kind of tracking device and relying on that and trying to interpret the amount of food that you're taking in. But with that said, is I just think it's such a great tool to create a certain level of awareness. And when we talk about intuitive eating, ultimately it would be nice, right? If we had the ability to eat intuitively to the degree that the amount of food we're consuming on a daily basis fell in line with whatever our respective goals would be, whether that's improving muscle mass or body composition or, or decreasing body fat. And the only way, in my opinion, that you can develop that level of intuition is to test out all of these different methodologies for yourself to actually have spent the time weighing and measuring and logging food so that you start to get a good idea of, okay, well, this is what four ounces of chicken or steak looks like. This is what eight ounces of rice looks like. This is what a quarter cup of dry oats looks like and so on and so forth. And, and then getting to understanding of like, okay, when I have pizza and beer and wings, I'm coming to the realization that, wow, I actually just exceeded my calories by a thousand without even thinking about it. So much so that it becomes easy to understand how on a daily or weekly basis, people are significantly overshooting their calorie goals or needs. And so I think that's really relevant in this whole conversation. But look, ultimately it's like, I wanna give you tools that you can implement that's gonna help you effectively manage your calories. Look, most of us just wanna look better and feel better. Most people, I should say, and, and probably if you're listening to this, this conversation, you're not tuning into this podcast to become a physique competitor. Like you don't have 6% body fat goal aspirations. It would be nice if you lost some body fat, you felt a little more confident, you looked a little bit better, and you learned some nutrition strategies to help do that. So that's what I'm gonna try and provide for you. So again, First and foremost is we've got to create a, a calorie deficit and there's a million different ways to do that. And we've talked to like, obviously there's tons of different diets on the market and most diets work to the degree that they help you create a deficit, meaning you're eating less 
than you're expending. You're taking in less calories, you're expending more calories than you're taking in. And by virtue of doing that, you're going to lose weight. Now, it may or may not necessarily come with an improved body composition. It depends on how you do that. And we can kind of get into that a little bit. But first and foremost is we've got to create a deficit. And I'm assuming you're along the ride with me here and you're possibly resonating with what I'm talking about because we don't talk diets. I'm not going to give you a whole 30 approach. Uh, because I don't think it's realistic for most people long-term. Can it be a sh- good short-term tool? Absolutely. I'm not going to give you a keto approach, even though I've interviewed plenty of experts on ketosis. I myself have been interviewed on other podcasts on the benefits of ketosis. There's nothing wrong with it, except to say that when taken too far, yeah, then it can be problematic because it's not the end-all be-all. For most of us, like, look, man, I, you know, I've got a couple different businesses, three kids, busy lifestyle, and I just want to enjoy my time here. I want to eat foods that I enjoy. And for me, that means having a little bit of everything. And so this is the way that I do it, and this is the way that I recommend it with my clients. So again, calorie deficit. So one of the first strategies that we implement to help people manage their calories is to eat three to four meals per day without snacking in between. So the benefit of eating three to four meals per day without snacking in between. And I should preface this by saying, if you want a little more information on this type of habit-based approach or skills-based eating, then you need to go back. I think one of the first podcast episodes I produced, possibly the very first one, was an interview with a woman named Georgie Fear, who's a dietitian, and she developed this whole kind of skills-based eating approach. She wrote a book called Lean Habits for Lifelong Weight Loss, which is a fantastic book. But I've had so much positive benefit to implementing this eating skill with my clientele. And so again, it's eating three to four meals per day without snacking in between. So the rationale behind this one is you may have heard the old adage of you need to eat five or six times per day, right? Eat more frequent small meals per day in order to quote unquote stoke the metabolism. And what the research actually shows regarding this concept of eating more frequently is the exact opposite, is there's no metabolic benefit per se to eating more frequently. In fact, it almost can be a detriment to the degree that for most of us, if we are to eat more frequently throughout the day, then we're going to end up eating more calories throughout the day by virtue of the fact that most of the food that we eat, especially when we're thinking about it as multiple meals or snacks, is more processed, more calorically dense food. For example, if I think about having three solid meals and two snacks, oftentimes those snacks are things like a granola bar or a handful of nuts or maybe cheese and fruit or dried fruit. And I think what you may or may not know is oftentimes those quote-unquote snack foods are very calorically dense, so much so that I can have a handful of nuts and dried fruit and it easily can be the equivalent of a meal. It can easily be four or even 500 calories for a decent sized handful of nuts because they're so high in fat and dried fruit as an example, which is so high in sugar and carbohydrates. And that doesn't make it a bad thing, but the point is that when we're eating more frequently, assuming we don't have a very good idea of how these calories are adding up, can often contribute to significantly higher amounts of calories throughout the day, especially considering the fact that people are already eating far too much and too much 
nutritionally void, calorically dense food, which is one of the major issues about our society today is it's so easy to eat and eat and eat all day long without really taking in that much actual nutrition. And so it's not like, you know, 100 years ago, if we were living on a farm or living that sort of farmer lifestyle, we didn't have the ability to just snack all day long. Oftentimes we were having meat and dairy and vegetables that we grew and we didn't have all of these types of processed snack foods. So the whole concept of, of just eating a few meals spread out throughout the day simply helps you manage your calorie intake more effectively. So one, it helps you eat less calories. Two is there's a major benefit to allowing this sort of three or four or five hours of fasting, if you will, in between meals. That's this period of time that we're going without eating. And in a society where many of us are eating all day long, all the time, are oftentimes some of the hormones associated with hunger and energy and satiety can basically get screwed up. Um, they can get downregulated, if you will. And so the ability for us to give our body a period of time to one day di effectively digest our food and then establish, you know, three or four or five hours without eating again helps us essentially reset many of these hunger and fullness signals. And by doing that, it helps us improve our body's ability to essentially burn more body fat at rest, which is what we're supposed to be doing. And I've talked about this concept of metabolic flexibility in other interviews, but essentially it's just saying that our body needs to be able to toggle between fat burning and carbohydrate burning. And assuming we're taking in adequate amounts of protein, carbs, and fats, then there's periods of times based on the intensity of our physical activity that our body should be more uh, focused on burning carbohydrate and our body should be more focused on burning fat. And if we're eating all of the time, then basically what we're doing is undermining our body's ability to effectively burn body fat at rest. And a lot of this has to do with regulating what's called our leptin sensitivity. And so just to give you a really quick idea of kind of how the leptin works is, is basically if we have increased levels of leptin sensitivity, then we're going to be much more likely to be able to lose weight and maintain that weight loss over a longer period of time. It's tied in much more closely to adequate levels of hunger and satiety cues and, and it's that relationship between the brain and the stomach and our organs to say okay um, well it's actually leptin and ghrelin I should say but it's basically the this this dance between the body and the brain and the organs to say based on the amount of food that we're eating signaling the brain and the brain signaling the organs and the digestive system to say okay you're getting the nutrients that you need you're getting the amount of food that you need you can shut down those hunger signals and you can increase those fullness and satiety signals and that's really what that leptin sensitivity is all about conversely is saying if we have this decreased leptin sensitivity basically where we see this happen is in kind of yo-yo dieters or people who frequently have dieted, people that are absolutely overweight or obese, um, people that consume a high-fat diet. So keto consumers, beware. 
Uh, this could be something that's prevalent, but we see this decreased leptin sensitivity. And what the research shows with decreased leptin sensitivity is that you're going to be more likely to regain uh, that lost body weight over a period of time. It's basically this kind of biggest loser syndrome or this idea of you've lost all of this weight very quickly, very aggressively, but with that is you've massively downregulated your leptin sensitivity so much so that your body just cannot regulate its hunger and satiety. And so physiologically is, is your body is doing everything that it can to bring that metabolism back to where it wants to be to get you back to that quote-unquote set point. And, and I'm not super comfortable using that word because I don't know that it's necessarily a thing, but our brain thinks that there's a certain level that it needs to be at. And if we've massively restricted calories or you've gone on any sort of diet for any period of time, then you probably know the feeling of, despite any progress that you're making, Basically, knowing your brain is saying, eat everything in front of you. I want as many calories, as much nutrition as I, as I can take in because I'm feeling starved, whether or not that's actually the case and or it's down-regulating your physical activity levels to the degree that you feel more lethargic. You just don't have the energy to exercise and basically your body's conserving as much energy as possible, which happens in this sort of diet or syndrome. So that's one of the really big tangible things. And man, it's hard because I know it's nothing that's like sexy um, or new per se, but it's like, look, just stop eating so frequently throughout the day. And maybe if you currently feel like you're having multiple meals and snacks, it's just saying, okay, well, how do I set my day up for success by just planning three square meals or maybe three square meals and a shake or maybe three square meals and a small snack. There's nothing, there's no right or wrong. And the way that I break this down with clients is say, okay, well, what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? And then let's kind of talk about what are your non-negotiables in a given day. So you wake up at 6 a.m., for example, you go to bed at 10 p.m. And within that is maybe you do a, I don't know, a 7.30 a.m. workout. That's a non-negotiable. Maybe you always have a, a, a couple meetings throughout the day. So maybe you can only eat one meal around noon. So what you need to do is basically just take out, and I have the schedule that I kind of walk clients through, but basically we break it down. We say, all right, Within this given time frame, 6 a.m. wake up, 10 p.m. bedtime, how many meals per day do you think you'd be comfortable eating? Can you realistically do three or would you be more comfortable starting with four? And, and sure, there's plenty of people that have blood sugar dysregulation issues that have just horrific eating patterns that we need to start with more meals and work our way down. So I'm just speaking in generalities here. And again, is within that, well, however, however many, what's that 16-hour span, within that 16-hour span is saying, okay, how do we plug in kind of some even-paced meals? Maybe we eat at 6.30, meal number one. Then you train at 7.30. Then maybe you have a shake at 10. Then maybe you have your kind of meal number three, if you will, at one. And then maybe you have your meal number four at six. And then you're done eating for the day. And that might work within your schedule. And so for a lot of people, simply starting with that, to say nothing of plugging in any macro kind of guidelines, any protein goals, saying don't eat this, don't eat that, you can kind of do what you want within that 
and then start to see what happens. And simply by doing that can be a great step in the right direction for so many people. And then you have to observe what's happening. Okay, are you actually losing weight? Are your circumference measurements improving? Um, do, do you, how is your energy? How's your sleep? How's your mood? How's your cravings? Hey guys, real quickly, I want to talk to you about my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. This is a comprehensive exercise formula that I personally created after experiencing years of frustration, working with hundreds of individuals and athletes that were not getting the nutrition that they needed before, during, and after their workouts. After using numerous workout powders that were low quality, overpriced, chock full of caffeine and artificial sweeteners, and were flat out useless, I said enough is enough, and figured out how to create a nutritionally dense, comprehensive and high quality product with ingredients that you can feel good about taking and giving to your family. When you use Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre, during, and post-workout supplements. You'll save time, money, and energy, and get all of the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. It's just the ingredients that you need to give you great natural energy, improve your recovery, and reduce your muscle soreness with no caffeine or artificial sweeteners. You can learn more about our complete essentials at bslnutritionshop.com and check out the show notes below for a nice little discount on your first purchase as my way of saying thank you for listening. That's it. Let's head back to the show. So once you've plugged that in, then you can start to tweak what those meals look like. So say, okay, I'm eating four meals per day or three meals in a shake. And within that is starting to pay attention to how you're feeling between those meals because if you're not losing weight within that, then you're likely still consuming too many calories. So then we can focus on saying, okay, how are we building out each of these plates? Are we shooting for eating more nutritionally dense food? Within that is saying, maybe I should start to focus more on how much protein I'm consuming. And there's a good interview uh, I've done. I'll include the link in the show notes below. An interview with Brian St. Pierre of Precision Nutrition. And he walks us through kind of building out your plates from a standpoint of kind of know how many palms of protein should you be consuming? How many fists of, of starchy carbs? How many cupped hands of, of veggies or, or vice versa? I can't exactly remember, but I think those are, those are very useful guidelines. Within that is saying, look, if you're eating three meals a day of fast food, then you're probably going to be taking in too many calories. That's the reality of it. So then from there is, can we start eating more homemade meals? Again, irrespective of the macronutrient breakdown, you know, the reality is if you're planning your meals yourself, then you're probably doing a much better job regulating your calorie intake. And then again is within each of those meals, how are we building out those meals? So then we start to look and say, all right, well, are you consuming calorically dense beverages with those meals. So if you're consuming soda throughout the day and or with your meals, then that's a very easy way to save a lot of calories. If you're consuming an excessive amount of alcohol throughout the week or on the weekend, that's an easy way to get rid of what could potentially be an exorbitant amount of calories. Um, within your meals, are you eating dessert with every single meal? Well, obviously it may or may not benefit you to reduce those calories and minimize the amount of desserts that you're consuming. Then within the actual nutrient 
portion of the meal, how much protein are you consuming, how much vegetables are you consuming, and how much starchy carbs. And an easy way to start to manage the calorie intake is to start to move down on or reduce the amount of starchy carbohydrates that you're consuming and or fat. And I'll give you two examples here. So from a starchy carbohydrate standpoint is if you're consuming bread and rice and pasta and potatoes and or if that's the basis of many of your meals, then it would benefit you to shift the focus to more lean protein sources and more vegetable sources because you're going to be getting more protein, which is going to be more satiating from meal to meal. You're also going to be getting a lot more fiber and nutrition, which is essentially bulk. Um, So to say nothing of the nutrient value and phytonutrient value and vitamins and minerals in all of these foods is you're actually creating more bulk for less calories. So if you're consuming more vegetables than starchy carbs, like rice or potato or bread or pasta, then you're basically filling up your stomach with less calories. But it's still signaling the brain to say, hey, I'm good, I'm getting the nutrition I need, I'm getting the bulk that I need, therefore I can downregulate some of those hunger signals and start to feel satiated from meal to meal, which is a great way to start to save your calories by increasing your vegetables, increasing your protein, reducing your starchy carbs, and by that same token, is paying very close attention to how much fat you're taking in because this is one that I see very frequently occurring where people are simply consuming far too much fat. So, for example, you're cooking your eggs in tremendous amounts of butter or you decide you want to have bacon every single day with breakfast. Well, there's nothing necessarily wrong with bacon depending on the person, but if you're consuming bacon every day, understand that bacon is an exorbitant amount of fat. Eggs are equal amounts of fat and protein. So if you have three eggs, that's 15 grams or, or maybe 20 grams of protein, but it could be 15 or 20 grams of fat as well and fat adds up very quickly it's also twice the caloric value of protein and or carbs at nine calories per gram so here's some of the things that i frequently see add up that people don't realize is the amount of oils including butter avocado coconut oil mct oil that they're using in and around their meals if you're drinking bulletproof coffee in lieu of a meal or at a meal Understand that depending on how much butter and MCT or coconut oil you put in, that could easily be 45 grams of fat. And, you know, I can't do the math right off the top of my head, but that's probably around 300, it's actually probably more, closer to 400 calories of fat in your day. So for, for a female that's maybe 150 pounds or maybe consuming around 1,500 calories, that's close to 30% of her daily calorie intake with one bulletproof coffee. You know, another frequent thing that I see is salad dressings. Is It's very easy to just pour on mounds of dressing. Whether And, and to say nothing of how poor some of these oils are for some of these vegetable oils or soy-based oils. They're also a shitload of fat. And... So just because you're having a salad doesn't necessarily make it good for you if you're putting gobs of oil on it, plus cheese, plus almonds, plus avocado, um, 
And I think you get the idea that it's very easy for things, these things to start to add up. So regardless of whether you're just eating three square meals per day, but then you're just overloading these foods with tremendous amounts of starchy carbohydrate and or fats, especially highly processed fats like oils in any form, even if it's butter, and I don't care how quote unquote healthy butter is, it's still calories. And that stuff really, really matters. So that's kind of the second step in assessing how are my calories adding up? So once you have a good idea of, okay, I do best with three meals or four meals per day, and each of those meals it should be approximately, for example, half of my plate of vegetables, a quarter of, of lean animal protein, and maybe a quarter of starchy carbs. And you just start to experiment with that. How do you feel? What's happening on the scale? What's happening with body composition? How's your energy and your performance uh, throughout the day, cognitively, and maybe in the gym? With doing all of these things, then you're creating this higher level of awareness and intuition around these foods and how you respond to these foods without being extrinsically influenced by what Jane and Joe are doing on their Instagram or what this you know, newest dietary fad is all about and getting lost in shiny object syndrome. So that's really a, a very realistic way to start to tackle this managing your calories approach. But from there is saying, okay, I believe that you should start to experiment with longer periods of going without food. And so what you can do is, and I talked about this in previous episodes as well, um, I have an intermittent fasting and an early time restricted feeding episode. That's a solo, solo round where I kind of get into the nitty gritty of intermittent fasting and the benefits and so on. But I think that kind of transitioning from this eat three to four meals per day approach, it could be just moving to three meals per day within a more restricted time frame, because there's just a tremendous amount of benefits, mostly, and let me make this very clear, that I believe that most of the benefits associated with intermittent fasting, the way most people are doing it, um, revolve around creating a level of caloric restriction. And that's the only reason I'm talking about it right now. I'm not trying to, to focus on autophagy or longevity or fat burning per se or BDNF and some of these brain you know, producing chemicals uh, to improve productivity. Rather, all we're talking about is effectively managing your calories in a realistic way that you can plug in starting now. And time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting by virtue of just shortening your eating window. So we could say, I'm only eating between 12 p.m. and 6 or 8 p.m. at night or early time-restricted feeding, which I personally am kind of getting more into these days uh, is essentially saying, okay, well, I'm stopping my eating while it's still daylight. So maybe around 4 or 5 p.m. And I'm not eating again for at least 12 hours maybe pushing that closer to 16 or 20 hours. So if I stop eating at 4 or 5 p.m. the night before, then I won't eat again until, well, at least 5 or 6 a.m. the next day. But realistically, because of sleep, it ends up being 7 or 8. And just by doing that, all of a sudden I'm at 16 hours and change. And so I can start to push that window. But some of the benefits are, well, certainly managing your calories. 
right? Absolutely managing your calories. For me, and I don't know about you, but certainly something personally and that I've observed with so many clients over the years is when do we tend to get into the most trouble with our caloric consumption in a given day? If you're anything like me, it's from the time I get home from work or the time the kids get home until we go to bed. And that becomes, for many of us, becomes an endless an endless meal from 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. until 10 p.m. is we're basically eating nonstop between snacking before dinner, dinner itself, and then snacking dessert after dinner, mindless eating, which so many of us get into trouble. So by putting some rules and confines onto when you're actually eating by virtue of this sort of early time restricted feeding model, that can basically set some great parameters in place to just knock out that entire eating window when you would necessarily get into trouble. And to be honest, I just don't, I don't think that model's very realistic for very many people. It's certainly not on an everyday basis. For me, it seems to be working well from a sort of Sunday night, Monday night, maybe Tuesday. And then I start to get caught up in the kind of family routine, but based on my personal schedule, I've got very busy days, Monday and Tuesday, so much so that it makes it very easy for me to eat consistent, pre-prepared meals, and, and usually I'll have three solid meals and one shake, assuming I work out, but I'll have those meals between, say, 7.30 or 8 and kind of 4 or 5 p.m., and I can do that consistently, commit to that. And then as the week goes on and the structure of our schedule changes and my workload lightens a little bit and I start to get more involved with the kids later on in the week and then of course our weekends, it's just not very realistic for me. And I imagine that would likely be the same for you to the degree that you may want to consider, well, look, at the very least, within this concept of three to four meals, make sure you're going at least 12 hours. Of fasting. So if you stop eating your last meal at 7 or 8 p.m., then at the very least, don't eat again until 7 or 8 a.m. to give your body time. And the further you can start to push that eating window, the more comfortable you can start to get with those signals of hunger. I think the better it is to a degree. I think we should all experiment with that. I, I don't believe that all of us should be intermittent fasting every single day per se, but the idea behind these different strategies, especially with the fasting strategies and especially allowing four or five hours in between meals is giving you time to really start to get comfortable with how you're feeling, establishing a certain level of hunger. Because I can tell you, if you go for most of us, if we go five hours without eating, you're going to be hungry before that next meal. And that's a very good thing. Hunger is a sign that one, we're tapping into fat as a fuel source. We're also normalizing those levels of leptin and ghrelin and that your body's actually ready to eat and you're gonna utilize those nutrients effectively. I think we get in trouble when we lose touch with that sense of hunger and or we start to freak out when we start to experience hunger to the degree that we decide we need to eat at any slightest twinge of hunger. And what you'll realize is that the more you get comfortable with it, the longer you can start to push it uh, and the more you'll be able to on cue kind of manage that calorie intake and not psychologically freak out when um, you miss a meal. Uh, and with that said, is is choose to purposefully 
either reduce your calorie intake and or purposely miss meals or skip meals because it's not an emergency. It's just not a big deal. You're just hungry. That's it. We're meant to feel hunger. And it's a good thing. It's something to embrace. And so it's something that we talk about that you should absolutely experience for 30 to 60 minutes before each of your meals. Because if you're not experiencing hunger, then maybe it's just not time to eat. Maybe you don't need to eat. And then you need to ask yourself, well, why do I feel like I need to eat? Is it because of my social setting? Am I stressed out? Am I bored? Um, Am I just looking for an escape? What psychologically is going on, emotionally is going on right now that I need to identify with and shift my pattern of thinking around, shift the behaviors that are associated with stress. When we feel like come 3 p.m., we need to have that Red Bull and that candy bar. When you're not actually hungry, you're just stressed out and you need an opportunity to take a break. And we use that opportunity by eating something to give us a little bit of a dopamine boost and give us a a reason to distance ourselves from work or email or whatever it is. So that's when and only when I would start to plug in those intermittent fasting strategies. Okay, I think that that's enough for right now. I think that gives you a pretty good idea. I've talked more than I wanted to about this, but my hope here is that I've given you just a general idea of how to start to think about plugging your nutrition in on a daily basis in a way that's going to help you effectively manage your calories without feeling like you have to log and weigh and measure and obsess about the foods that you're eating because you absolutely don't. And we're all at a different point in our journey together. So different things are going to work well for different people, which is why I always encourage you to experiment. But be open to the results. Be open to how you actually are experiencing the results of a set diet or a way of of plugging your food in. Um, Don't limit yourself to what you think you're supposed to be experiencing or what your coworker is experiencing or a family member. Okay, I hope that's helpful and I appreciate you guys. Thank you for taking the time to listen and make sure to hit me up if you have any questions that you would like me to address on the show, then hit me up. My email link is in the show notes below. Appreciate you guys. Love you. Thank you so much. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.